Welcome to the Clinical Education Initiative podcast, Conversations with CEI, where we feature conversations with clinical experts, their experience and insights on current health issues in the areas of HIV, primary care and prevention, sexual health, hepatitis C, and drug user health. Hi, Jaron. Hi, Steve. Nice to see you again, even if only virtually. It is nice to see you too. Can you believe we're still on Zoom after all this time? I honestly can't believe it. I'm used to it now, but it's still, it's still kind of crazy to think we're still on Zoom. It's good to have you back for this podcast episode. I'm not really sure why they let us come back after the last one, but since they did, well, let's forge ahead. Okay, let's get on with it. I'm really excited to talk about the new option for PrEP where you don't have to take any pills. Oh, great. Yeah, for some, this is going to be a real game changer for sure. It's called Apritude, and it's an injection every two months instead of taking a pill every day to prevent HIV. So just remind our listeners, pre-exposure prophylaxis is treating people who are HIV negative, but at risk of acquiring HIV infection with medicine to lower their chances of getting HIV. Yes, and it's very effective too at preventing HIV. In fact, in some studies, over 99% reduction in the chances of getting HIV. It's one of the pillars of our New York State plan to eliminate HIV entirely. Oh, well, that's pretty exciting in itself. How does the injectable work? So now, instead of having to remember to take pills to prevent HIV infection, there's an entirely injectable option. It's called Cabotegravir LA. The brand name is Apritude, and it requires a trip to the doctor's office for an intramuscular injection every two months. But in between, there are no pills to remember. That sounds like a huge breakthrough for some individuals. Who might this be good for? Great question. And I'll get, that, get to that in just a minute. First, I wanted to sort of just do a quick overview of pre-exposure prophylaxis in general. This was by no means a comprehensive review. You know, at the CEI, we have lots of courses discussing PrEP because it's so important, and they discuss PrEP in general. We have links to the New York State HIV guidelines, uh, which also have a big, uh, very comprehensive section on PrEP. So here, I just want to do sort of a brief bare-bones review, and then what we'll do is mainly I'll be highlighting the differences between regular PrEP which is the pills every day, and the Cabinuva LA, which is the new injectable. That sounds really interesting. Go for it. So first and foremost, it's really super important to offer PrEP to anybody who may be at risk for HIV infection. Those could be people who have unprotected sex with partners and they don't know their partner's HIV status, or they may know their partner's HIV positive, but not suppressed on treatment. Uh, Those people are certainly candidates. Other high-risk behaviors, like having multiple or anonymous sex partners, having a history of trading sex for money or drugs, the use of mood-altering drugs during sex, or using injection drugs, those are all the sort of the standard risk factors for HIV. And it makes sense to offer PrEP to anybody who has any of those risk factors, as well as maybe anybody who's had a positive test for a sexually transmitted infection. And these days, that's getting to be a lot of people. Or how about people who may have requested PET, which is post-exposure prophylaxis for a possible recent exposure to HIV? That's a good point. Some people are aware that if they do have an exposure or a possible exposure to HIV, they take PEP, post-exposure prophylaxis. And people who are coming in and asking for post-exposure prophylaxis, especially if it's more than once, 
would certainly be a good candidate for PrEP. Another good group of people to be aware of is people who ask for PrEP. Even if you can't identify the risk, you may need to have a discussion to educate them as to whether or not they're really at risk. But some people may choose not to disclose the risk. So it's best not to decline. And, and my policy is certainly if people ask for it, that's PrEP, then, then we do offer that. Again, it's by no means an exhaustive list. There's a great discussion in the New York State HIV guidelines for PrEP, which you can find at hivguidelines.org. So once you've identified people who would be good candidates to start on PrEP, what kinds of things would you say to them? So again, this is with all PrEP, not just the injectable. But I'll always explain the risks and benefit of PrEP, how it works, perhaps some of the pros and cons of each of the different PrEP choices, which now we have a new one, uh, the injectable, which is the subject of this talk. I think it's important to emphasize that that PrEP or taking the medicine isn't the only thing you can do to reduce your risk of HIV. It doesn't have to mean the end of standard risk reduction. So things like not sharing needles and regular condom use is always part of the discussion. So what sorts of things would disqualify someone from getting PrEP or at least limit their options? So once, you, once you've decided that PrEP may be a good idea because the person is at risk for HIV, or at least you think they may be at risk for catching HIV, there are very few contraindications to taking PrEP. The first and foremost is if you're already infected with HIV. And I can't stress that enough, especially with the new injectable Cabanuva LA. And I'll talk about that a little more later. That turns out to be really important. Um, since none of the PrEP regimens are adequate to treat an HIV infection, we really need to test any candidates for HIV before starting PrEP. I'm not sure that I would necessarily wait for the results every time, unless you can use a rapid test, but at least have the HIV test cooking so that you'll know the, the status before you start PrEP. Okay, so test for HIV. What else? Kidney problems have been another issue. In fact, I think one of the exciting things about the injectable cabotegavir LA is that it can be used with people who cannot use the other traditional pills for PrEP because of their kidney issues. <clears throat> These kidney issues are especially important for PrEP that uses tenofovir uh, disproxyl. That's also known as TDF, and that's the one that's found in Truvada. Patients need to have a creatinine clearance of 60 ml per minute or more if they're going to use Truvada. For patients between 30 and 60, we can substitute the tenofovir alafenamide or TAF. That's the one that's found in Discovy. But currently, TAF is not recommended for cisgender women or transgender men. So for those patients who have the renal function below 30 and aren't uh, candidates for either Truvada or Discovy, or for women who may have creatinine clearance below 60, that's cisgender women or transgender men. For those patients, we could go to the new Cabotegavir LA option. Anybody whose creatinine clearance is too low for tenofovir-containing pills. So we'll talk about that a little bit more in, in a minute. But for patients who don't qualify for any PrEP, maybe they're not interested in the injections, always continue to educate them about other options for reducing the risk for acquiring HIV. So once your patients understand how PrEP works, the risks and benefits of PrEP and other things, what can they do to reduce their HIV risk? How do they go about making the choice of which PrEP is best for them? So at the moment, we have these 
three options, the two previous pills and the new injectable cavitegravir LA. So the pills are either tenofovir TDFTC or Truvada, that's Truvada, or TAFFTC, that's Descovy, and now the injectable long-acting cavitegravir. First off, I have a frank discussion about taking pills every day. Is a patient capable of doing that? Do they take any other pills every day? Do they have habits that would enable them to remember to take their pills every day? I heard that there is another way to take the pills. People who have sex less often might only use the pills when needed instead of every day. Yeah, that's absolutely right. This has been studied in certain populations of men who have sex with men. It's called on-demand dosing, and that's simply taking the pills for PrEP before and after sex. That has been shown to be effective for people whose exposures are maybe less frequent, but it does require a certain degree of planning. You have to sort of know in advance when you're going to need it, have the pills on hand. But for some people whose exposures may be very infrequent, that may be a better option than taking a pill every single day. We have a full discussion of that in uh, the New York State guidelines, in the PrEP guidelines under the section called on-demand PrEP. But for people who don't want to take the pills or may not work, we get to the injectable long-acting cabotegravir or aptitude. And this is a great option, or I mean a really great option for people who are willing to receive regular intramuscular injections and if they don't need treatment for chronic hepatitis B. So that last one sounds like a great option for people who really don't want to take pills or who may forget. You're right. You know, there's so many reasons people may not do well with pills for PrEP. And just to skim the surface, people may forget to take the pill, especially if they're not used to other pills. They could forget to pick them up from the pharmacy. Maybe they don't want to be seen taking pills by others. Maybe they don't have a good place to store their pills privately. There's just so many reasons, and the list just goes on and on. Wow, that's really, really interesting. So for people who want to try the long-acting cabotegravir, there are quite a few things to consider, but don't let it be overwhelming. It's really quite doable in the office, especially once you get the first one down, because there is a learning curve as for everything else. So what are the big things to consider before prescribing cabotegravir LA? So I guess the first one is that it's very similar to using the long-acting cabotegravir as part of an HIV regimen, because we have been using this now for a couple of years to treat HIV. It's for about one year, actually. And that one is that there can be an oral lead-in phase. So this is where patients are able to take the oral form of the drug uh, for four weeks to make sure they tolerate it before they're getting injected with a long-acting version. I think it's important to, to realize that the oral lead-in is considered optional. It does help, you know, you sort of want to weigh the risks and benefits to the oral lead-in phase. Adverse reactions to the initial injection are actually quite rare. Some patients and their doctors may be reassured by taking the pill orally, meaning you can always stop at any point. And they may be reassured to taking it because they're taking it in advance and finding out that they're not going to have a bad reaction before they're injected. The problem with the oral lead-in phase is there is a risk that patients may have trouble adhering to those oral medications and therefore not take them properly and acquire HIV during the oral lead-in phase. The second thing to realize is that in order to build up the drug levels, the first two injections of the cabotegravir LA are only one month apart. After that, it's every eight weeks. 
or basically two months apart. And that's important to realize because we tell patients this is an every other month injection, but they need to know that you're going to get the first injection, then the second injection only one month later. The other really important thing I think that differentiates this, and you have to realize, is that in order to stop the injections, if the patient's going to stop for any reason, the cabotegravir long-acting will remain in their system for up to a year. So if they remain at risk for getting HIV infection, there is a risk they'll contract HIV during that long tail when the cabotegravir levels are dropping over time. And you may get to a point where the cabotegravir drug level in the body is too low to prevent an HIV infection, but it's still high enough to promote the selection of resistant HIV virus. If that were the case, the patient might acquire HIV that develops resistance to the integrase inhibitors. If they do acquire HIV resistant to integrase inhibitors during that long tail period, that would definitely limit their option for treating HIV in the future. That's one you have to be really careful of. So the New York State HIV treatment guidelines cover in great detail the pros and cons of the different regimens, as well as the efficacy. How long does it take for them to work? And what are the safety issues? What are the main points? You're right, John. There is a ton of information in those guidelines. It's definitely worth a look. But I think it's important to keep in mind when you're, say, comparing the oral regimens to the injectable, that all the regimens for PrEP are highly effective. Not only do they decrease the chance of getting HIV, but they can really decrease the anxiety about HIV acquisition. It's also a great way to get any of them, injectable or oral, is also a really great way to get sexually active patients who might be at risk for HIV into care. It's a great way to have them there in the office, screening them for other STDs, as well as other education. And I think that's a key point, in fact, about the STDs, is that none of these PrEP regimens for HIV will protect protect people from other sexually transmitted infections. The oral regimens, Truvada and Descovy, TDF, FTC, and TAF, FTC, are up to 99% effective in preventing new HIV infections. They do reduce the risk of HIV really well if they're taken properly. Um, Each one of those is a single tablet. Most of the time you're taking them daily, although as we mentioned before, there is an on-demand option if the patient's exposure is infrequent. The pills really do have very few adverse events or side effects, and they seem to be safe for people trying to get pregnant. The only real issue is adherence. It does require really good adherence and taking the pills on schedule. So how does the injectable... So in clinical trials, the injectable cabotegravir LA or apertude was statistically superior to Truvada in preventing HIV. It only requires the patient to come into the office for injection once every two months. And you have to come in because you can't take it at home. It's, it's, it's definitely an IM injection administered in the office. Because of that, it's kind of a form of directly observed treatment. In other words, as a clinician, you'll know if your patients come in to get their injections. It's not perfect. That IM injection I keep talking about is deep. It's three mLs of volume. So there is some injection site reaction and pain. For most patients, that's temporary. And it seems to go away over time. The more injections they receive, uh, the fewer complaints that we get. We don't have any data on pregnancy or breastfeeding individuals. It really wasn't tested on people whose risk factor was injecting drugs. 
So we don't know how effective it would be in that situation. And if an injection is missed, then you'd need to switch over to the oral medication as a bridge until you can come in and get redosed. As I mentioned above, it doesn't treat hepatitis B, although you could treat hepatitis B separately if you needed to. It can't be used for people who've had silicon injections or other types of fillers in their gluteal region. And we do have patients that do have that as, as the butt lift, so-called, and it doesn't treat HIV. So once again, I'll emphasize this, and you can't emphasize it too often, you have to test for HIV first before you start and each every with every two-month injection. Last but not least, there were occasional breakthrough infections in the clinical trials. So even though patients did get their injections on time, it wasn't 100% of prevention. I don't think it's really known what happened for those few patients, but in those patients, occasionally integrase inhibitor-resistant HIV was found. So again, to my point, periodic testing for HIV while on the injectable or any other PrEP regimen for that matter is definitely recommended. Wow. So can you walk us through the process? So here's the nitty gritty, and this may vary for different clinics, but Cabotegravir LA, the long-acting aptitude, was approved for preventing HIV with an every other month injection in adults and adolescents, not for pediatrics. And I think it's 35 kilograms or under, it's recommended not to use that. This was approved at the end of December, 2021. They studied in a clinical trial of 4,560 men who had sex with men and in transgender women, and it was statistically superior to Truvada taken as a daily pill for preventing HIV. An additional study that was done mostly in sub-Saharan Africa had 3,200 cisgender women, and it was found to be statistically superior to Truvada as well. It was very safe, very well tolerated. Most people did complain of injection site reactions, but they did tend to decrease over time. Although it was a quite a highly motivated group, very few patients discontinued because of injection site reactions. In the clinical trial, they did use a five-week oral lead-in phase to check for the safety and monitor for adverse events before the first injection. None of the studies for cabotegravir LA for PrEP were done without the oral lead-in. However, you can extrapolate from the clinical trials for HIV treatments, which also use cabotegravir LA, basically the same drug used for treatment of HIV in the injectable form, along with injectable ropivirine as a two-drug treatment. Um, and they really saw very few reactions. So it's now felt safe to skip the oral lead-in phase, if you want, and go directly to the injections. And most importantly, after you do inject, drug levels are high enough uh, so that you don't need oral lead-in or wait, basically, before you're protected. Interesting. So how do you get started? One of the biggest drawbacks to the injectable cavitegravir is it does require some preparation on the clinician's part. This is especially true if your office hasn't done this type of thing before. If you're already in a center treating HIV and you're already using the injectable cavitegravir relpivirine for treatment, that's the cabinuva. For treating HIV, there really isn't very much difference at all. But in an office that hasn't done this kind of thing before, there's a few things that you do have to prepare in advance. Like what things? First and foremost, a safe place to store the injectable medications. They do require refrigeration. The nurses need to be trained how to prepare the medication and how to inject it. 
You need to have a system in place to remind patients of appointments because it's so important not to miss a dose. You have to be sure patients understand what to do if they can't get their injections. So once you're on schedule, once you're on the every two-month schedule, you could come in for your injection up to seven days early or seven days late. But beyond that, you'd need to switch to an oral bridging therapy, you know, basically go on the oral cabotegravir while you're waiting to come in and get a missed injection. That could also be done if the patient goes on vacation, so they need to know how to make plans for that. Once the paperwork's done, the prior authorization is, is obtained, similar to most other medicines we have to use these days. You'll pretty much be following your usual protocol. First, you're going to look for acute HIV or previous HIV infection, including an HIV test. But if there's no signs or symptoms of acute HIV or no probable exposure to HIV within the last 72 hours, go ahead and start pre-exposure prophylaxis. You can start that for patients who may be at risk while you're waiting for the results. In the rare event that the HIV test does come back positive, it's really important to get patients on full HIV treatment as soon as possible. And in that situation, I'd recommend calling your HIV specialist immediately so that you can discuss what would be the best HIV regimen to start. We do request that you always repeat HIV testing during the first month of PrEP, just in case there's a recent exposure. Otherwise, the lab work is routine. In addition to HIV test and an HIV PCR viral load, always check for the creatinine clearance, pregnancy, hepatitis B, and that for that, you'd use a surface antigen, surface antibody, and core antibody. Recommended to screen for syphilis, gonorrhea, and chlamydia. I think it's always a good idea in these patients who may be at risk to screen for hepatitis C, especially in um, men who have sex with men where that has been shown to be sexually transmitted. You could just look for transaminases, do your analysis. And at that point, you could either start the oral lead-in phase or go directly to the first injection. About a month after, well, one month after the first injection, patients come in to get their second IM injection. And that's important. It doesn't start out every two months. It starts out with the second injection one month after the first, but after that, it's every two months. The laboratory stuff, this is, is if it's, hopefully it's not getting too boring. <laughs> the laboratory monitoring is really the same as for the oral forms of PrEP. You're going to do the creatinine clearance, at least at baseline and annually. Consider doing it more frequently in patients who have some sort of pre-existing kidney disease. Maybe they have other risk factors for kidney disease, such as older age, hypertension, diabetes, or being on other known nephrotoxic drugs. I think it's important, even though cabotegravir is not known to cause any kidney disease, if the creatinine clearance is less than 30, then we do want to know the baseline testing and at least yearly or more frequent monitoring for renal function. Wow. Is there anything else to watch out for? I've said it before. I will say it again. Always watch out for signs of acute HIV. It's really important not to continue PrEP if the patient acquires a new HIV infection. Um, in fact, it is recommended to do the HIV test before each injection. Any signs and symptoms of acute HIV, of course, those would be fevers, swollen lymph nodes, known exposure to HIV, sore throat. I always tell people in, in my practice, if you think about mono, but the mono test is negative, then HIV, acute HIV should be in the differential. If the patient has any kind of positive HIV antibody test or viral load over 200, we do recommend treating for HIV 
in conjunction with an experienced HIV treater. If the HIV test was non-reactive and the viral load was under 200, consider repeat testing maybe for both the HIV uh, test and the viral load. And that'd be a fourth generation antibody and antigen test. If patients are showing signs, or maybe, they're, maybe they're not showing signs of any acute HIV infection, but they do have a reactive test, it's important to find out whether they may have missed doses. And you should know that, especially if you're using the injectable. And then try to confirm whether HIV is really there as soon as possible, particularly if there's an interruption in the injections or patients have missed dose. HIV infection is possible even with on-time doses. So you would want to suspect it, you know, in these patients, even if they haven't missed an injection. And I think for most of those patients, I'd probably start on a fully suppressive HIV regimen while you're trying to figure that out. That regimen could be fully suppressive, including three drugs for HIV, but does not include an integrase inhibitor because that's what you were using for PrEP. And I would do that while you're waiting for the HIV test results. Very interesting. So once you've started patients on injectable PrEP, and everything is going smoothly, what if you want to stop? Yeah, well, John, that's a really a great question. There are definitely a few things you need to consider when stopping the injectable cavitegravir for PrEP. There are many reasons you might want to do it. For example, if the patient's not coming in for their injections on time or repeatedly missing injections, or if they won't agree to be tested for HIV while they're getting it, if they develop hepatitis B and need hepatitis B treatment, they may want to stop PrEP. Or some patients simply move on to a different phase in their life uh, when they're no longer at high risk for acquiring HIV infection. So what's the difference between injectable and pills when you stop? So as I mentioned earlier, with cabotegravir LA, you're left with a long period of time, which we call the tail period, which the drug levels slowly decrease. This um, actually may last over a year. And during this tail period, it's certainly a possible to acquire HIV infection. So the patient is at risk for HIV during this tail period. They may actually get HIV. And this is seen in the clinical trials. The drug levels may be low during the tail period and they're not completely protective. But theoretically, if you got HIV during this period, you could select for an HIV strain that's integrase inhibitor resistant. That actually wasn't seen in the clinical trials after stopping but it's definitely a possibility. So in order to prevent this, all of the clinical trials included after stopping the injectable going on an oral daily prep like TDF, FTC, Truvada for up to two years after the injectable was discontinued. Um, at that point, you can stop. And I think, you know, it's really a good idea to recommend patients go on oral prep after stopping the injectables if there's any chance they may still be at risk for getting HIV. So those things need to be taken into account even before you start. So for patients who would not be a good candidate because of a poor adherence, or for patients that have kidney issues that prevent the PrEP, oral pills for PrEP, I would probably have that discussion even before starting the injectables. So as of right now, you haven't mentioned insurance coverage. Well, with good reason, Jaron. Unfortunately, that is too complex for me to cover in this humble podcast. It should be covered. I think that this prep should be covered under most plans. It's either a medical or a pharmacy benefit. I haven't heard of instances anywhere in New York or elsewhere in the United States where this injectable prep wasn't somehow covered 
And patients generally pay either very little, either zero or very low cost. So that's good news. So what else? Well, I'm thinking that that maybe just about covers it for today. I'll summarize by just saying there's a new option for PrEP that is as effective or even more effective at preventing HIV than the pills, and it doesn't require taking any pills. For patients who are able to get into the office every two months to get their injections, and they want to forget about HIV prevention in between, I think this is looking like it's going to be a really great option. Okay, wow. So I guess we can wrap up this podcast. So please, Steve, remind everyone that more information can be found at our website, ceitraining.org, and in the guidelines at hivguidelines.org. I'll ditto what you said. (laughs) Well, Steve, it's been a pleasure as usual, and I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Oh, great. Thanks. I can't wait to see if people listening have any questions about the injectable that I may not cover. See how it goes. But I would recommend that people don't be afraid of it. Give it a try for certain patients. It's really a life-changing situation. All right. That's perfect. All right. So I'll see you next time or talk to you next time, Steve. Yeah, if they let us come back. (laughs) Take care, Steve. Thank you for tuning in. Join us next time for a new episode of Conversations with CEI. Visit us at ceitraining.org and follow us on CEI social media platforms.